Welcome to Ludicrously Specific, a podcast you could be forgiven for thinking no longer exists. My name is Doug, and I want to confirm that I did not die by falling into a chicken mincer at a farm owned by a man with homicidal sexual fantasies. <laughs> oh my lord. <laughs> okay. Well, I, uh, my name is Darren, and I confirm that I did not die by a zombie attack um, which was unleashed upon by an 11-year-old girl with psychic powers. I'm glad of that. Glad of that. And I'm Steve, and I can confirm that I was not killed by being uh, maliciously electrocuted by a badly disguised Adolf Hitler while playing a bitching heavy metal number. <laughs> and and uh, I think oh. we might all want to know, like, where we got inspired for these uh, highly specific things. For my part, I'll mention... Um, Julio Questi's Death Laid an Egg, which is a fantastic um, sort of giallo, sort of something else set on a um, chicken farm um, and aided by copious amounts of LSD. Huh. And I, t- I watched that film with Doug and I didn't recognize <laughs> You don't remember it, the chicken mincer? The dog, the and dog now fell I do. in it and then somebody else did. Yeah. Now I do. It's a uh, giant stone press, to be fair. The bits of chicken <laughs> fall in there, they roll it over with a stone press and then they feed it to the chickens because oh. apparently that's how you <laughs> treat chickens right in Italy in oh, the 70s. I, I, can, I can confirm that. I would just watch Mondo Carne and I can confirm that is very much an Italian thing to do in the 60s oh, and 70s. God, oh, yes. Why did you do that to yourself? But, um, historical kind of curiosity, I guess. Yeah. I want to see how badly had it aged. It has badly aged. Um, the racism on it is laid on with a series of large trails. I'm it's, not really clear that it was ever okay enough to have actually aged badly. It's, it was definitely, they went it for shock worse. value. They were going for shock value and it worked at the time. It made a ton of money, but um, these days when they drop lines like the insert racial group of several hundred million people are the laziest people on the face of it. You just go, <laughs> fuck you, movie. And, uh, right. yeah. okay. and and let's just say for our legal team that we do not endorse the we views of all. Steve Skeet <laughs> and anyone. Neither, neither <laughs> I, uh, uh, and Darren, what was your, your, your incredible death? Let's move on from Maybe there. our legal team can post that to our Twitter account run by Steve Skeet. <laughs> <laughs> We got our inspiration from Tesla. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, My Death Came from The Child by Robert Voskanian. It's a a crazy feature where um, an 11-year-old girl talks to dead people um, and uh, sits at gravesides and um, uh, gets a whole bunch of zombies to kill the people she doesn't like. Is that on the arrow, uh, one of those uh, horror project? It was, and uh, um, I seem to locate it at one uh, Douglas Dilliman's residence. That's right, and actually it's been a while. Well, because I, I, I watched it um, in 2020, and um, because that was like five lockdowns ago, it didn't immediately ring a bell. Um <laughs> I actually am proud of this Letterboxd review that I wrote. I'll just read really quick. Objectively not a four-star movie, but I'm not interested in objectivity. I'm interested in a series of completely inexplicable choices that coalesce into a dreamy haze of analog synth, fog machines, 
Human interactions that do not resemble the behavior of actual humans. <laughs> striking camera articles jarring, striking camera angles jarringly edited, and a general lack of control of pace that becomes its own reward. Bless Stephen Thrower for excavating this. I endorse all of that. <laughs> and I will be watching this movie. Yeah, with that, that in your pipe, lawyer. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, uh, it's a phantasmagoria of a film. It's it's like a weird fever dream. There's yeah. there's a lot of smoke for no real apparent reason. Oh, nice, mm. nice. Um, and it's the one that starts with the um, car crash, right? And yes. somebody's like, "Oh, I'll be safe," and then it's like, "No, you won't." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my death came from uh, Hard Rock Zombies uh, from 1985, directed by Krishna Shah, which. I've heard about it for many years and have heard very middling reviews of it. And I watched it on a bit of a whim because I'm doing trying to do 365. <laughs> because middling reviews have middling never stopped yeah, you before. Yeah, never, never. I'm trying to do 365 movies a day in, the, uh, in 365 days this year, which I'm well ahead of schedule. How's, how's your Stanley Kubrick review going? Uh, ooh, um, <laughs> I'll get back to you on that one. Okay. <laughs> but um, well, despite the middling reviews, I've got to say, Hard Rock Zombies is fucking amazing. The only movie this year where I've actually said, didn't expect Hitler to appear in this movie. And <laughs> oh, that's the only one he said he didn't, didn't expect. expect him. So how many did Hitler I actually did a couple, ex- but he never turned up. But this one, yeah, it was, it was, it was <laughs> Scooby-Doo Hitler. I'm a spoiler. Halfway through the movie, a character literally removes his disguise and goes from aging old man, man, Winters. Old man Winters to <laughs> old man Hitler. And then becomes, and I'm going to once again spoil the movie, Zombie Hitler, and it became my favourite movie of the month. And I would have gotten a wave of it too if it wasn't for your pesky kids. I might have to do this as a double feature with Wistomania for improbable Hitler movies. I am thinking of bringing this back for B-Fest next year because here, this is the tagline of the movie from the poster. They came from the grave to rock and rave and misbehave. And that does not give any indication of anything. At one point, a character turned up I referred to as Drunk Jewish Dumbledore who is, once again, one of my favourite one-scene characters, who appears out of nowhere, has a soliloquy, appears to be drunk off his tits, and then dies. Wow. It is a it is a wonderful mess of a movie. Hey, you're, you're a wizard, Harry! <laughs> <laughs> um... Should we explain why we haven't been around for six months, or should we just say, screw it, 2022? Things have happened. Two of our uh, podcasters have had the Rona. Yeah. One of us has not. And despite working with uh, yeah, well, despite the most working... public setting of all of us, <laughs> so I well done there. I have been careful to the point of paranoia, to the point where people yeah. now get grumped at when they walk in without a mask, and go, I thought it with over, smack on the head. Yeah. So, no. Um, I've avoided it somehow. These two did not. We I was also... back in public for three days. I was back working at my job. <laughs> <laughs> for three days and yeah. got <laughs> and you got a good dose too I mean you yes. were out for weeks and then one of our one of my colleagues went off to uh, another continent and another hemisphere yeah I went over to London for family reasons which uh, and then uh, managed to avoid it for over a month and then um, seven days before my flight back I managed to get it which wound up postponing my uh, flight back for a week. The and English Rona, which is the, the one, you know, the, the, the tasteless, slightly boiled version of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, it certainly wasn't as bad a case as some had. It was, was a very polite coronavirus. <laughs> it, it, it's, Sorry. Do, do, you offer, do you mind offering <laughs> if I infect you? Well, the most annoying aspect of it, um, because I, I mean, I have had some friends who've had it much worse and I can't really 
complain, but it was just like one of the weirdest symptoms was it just really destroyed my attention span during it. And I was like, you know what? I'm in the UK. I'm going to subscribe to Aeroplayer for a week, get free thing and catch up on all the stuff that I can't stream locally. But I just couldn't pay attention for more than five minutes. And mm-hmm. what wound up being the perfect thing is I bought the um, Bruce Lee biography, which is like 450 pages. And it's one of those biographies where it's like, not only does he have a relatively short life, it's divided into chapters. And within those chapters, there's like two or three page things. And then there'll be a series of dots and then they'll move to the next thought. So it's the perfect thing to kind of pick up, read two pages, put down and kind of just like space out for 10 minutes and then pick up and read another two pages. So I did get a little bit of movie-ing in then. But then, um, yeah, I thought that, oh, well, I've got it, and now I've got 90 days immunity, and I'll come back and I'll do all of this. And then it's like, no, BA4 and BA5, it's like 30 days. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm off to the States next week to see my uh, uh, cousin get married and, and meet my niece for the first time and, ge- and generally see everybody in my family for the first time since 2019. So I'm continuing to lay low despite Auckland having a criminally amazing um, series of retrospective screenings going on between the Hollywood, the Capitol, and mm. the Academy right now. Yeah, it's I been mean, some great flicks. Oh, and we've yeah. been responsible today. We have all ratted. We have yes. ratted. We, have, we are all negative. So, you know, remaining positive and testing negative, which is yes. my theory all year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is Well, been, it's, it's paid off for it's you. It's paid off for me somehow, somehow. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been <laughs> lucky enough to be able to work from home and... The only risk I took was going to the Thor premiere, which it turns out one of the people that was there is now right. has COVID, um, whether or not they got it there. but It turns out um, the biggest risk was actually seeing the Thor movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, not a fan not, of it. Out not that I've right. seen it, but no, I'm just either. reporting on Yeah, so, yeah, it's there's no benefit to bashing on marvel movies because whatever but i did we did catch up with the doctor strange movie the following night which we had skipped even though i love sam raimi and even though i love the first one mm-hmm. when marvel issued their syllabus and said here's the 15 hours of programming you should probably have watched before <laughs> seeing this and i was in london and and dealing with family stuff and i was like i do not have time for this but um Decided just like to give it a go with with knowing mm. what little I knew and it, like eight minutes in we paused and we're like this is so much better isn't it and, and it's like yeah it's not just a Marvel movie thing it's a film where like mm. you're actively wondering for the entire runtime if any of the two any two actors in it were ever in the same room while it was being shot and things like that and just right. it's just it's just riff tracks the movie you know kind right. of loosely bundled into a mm. plot. Um, See, I haven't seen any of the Marvel movies since Endgame because basically, at this in my brain, if you've missed something from the Marvel movie, it's no point trying to watch something well, later on because they there's so much backstory to it, yeah, so many yeah. series, and I don't have fucking time to the watch Doctor the Doctor Strange I'm one sorry. though. Yeah. Even though they Disney did give the syllabus, yeah, it, none of it. All you needed to know was that these things actually existed. You just yeah. needed to know that um, that the Elizabeth Olsen's character, the uh, the Scarlet Witch, that she was, um, that she had a town and did some crazy stuff and got over it or didn't. 
Um, and that's it. You just needed to be vaguely aware of it. It wasn't mm. really like you had to take a test before you saw the film. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And to be fair, like I, um, I grew up reading comic books and you would pick up a comic book and they'd have a line of dialogue mm. and usually there'd yeah. just be an asterisk at the bottom. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you might've missed this plot line in Avengers 24 to 32. Yeah. And Dr. Strange does feel like if it was a comic book, there would be an There'd asterisk be on every page, footnotes. Yeah. but they are, they are footnotes, you know, they give enough mm. there. Thor solves it by having a recap of all the movies delivered by Korg at the beginning, which takes the piss of everything. Um, which that sounds very Taika. I, mean, I yeah. get a feeling I might enjoy this movie a lot more than you did, but I really did enjoy Taika's first take on Thor. I, I really liked Ragnarok, and I, I was hopeful for this, and... Yeah, that was a mistake. No. Um, it just the, the over... like You know, seeing a sneak preview uh, with a packed audience of a film directed by a Kiwi who's made it big on the world stage and just the overwhelming long stretches of silence and a putative comedy um, and just the kind of collective, like not a single half-hearted attempt at an applause at the end. Right. You know, it's like, well... See, I mean, the comedy in a packed cinema, which is something I haven't seen in a long time because of obvious reasons was something I, I can very clearly remember seeing The Naked Gun for the yeah. first time in the theatre. And I was front row because this thing was that full. I was craning my neck up. Yeah. And I could not get half the jokes because the laugh from the previous joke mm. was still continuing. Yeah. So you had to see it multiple times just to get the stuff you missed because that reaction was so huge, so visceral, that it would basically block out sections of dialogue. Yeah. And it was a great experience. And then... Flip side of that, I saw Spy Hard in a theater by myself because no one had gone to see Leslie Nielsen's Spy Hard. I did the day right. off and wanted it. Literally, one of the ushers walked in, saw me, and went, Oh, and went back out and then the movie started. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a quite a good experience of that one, but comedy is something that really mm, should yeah. be shared. It it's should like be it's shared. comedy and horror for me, yeah. too. Are great shared experiences in a theater, horror especially. And if you get something that hits, even if it's an, uh, an older horror and somebody hasn't seen mm. it and you see their reaction, it's just joyous to watch somebody do the, what we call the Kermit reaction. Yeah. Something hits them for the first time. So what, um, cause you went to the thing the other week, right? Oh, and were there yes. any newbies there that, Yes, um, yeah, I was sitting um, next to someone who, um, when Richard Dysart loses his arms, yes, um, um, not part of a skiing accident or anything. <laughs> um, uh, she um, uh, reacted by jumping up on her chair. Her legs retracted. It's, uh, you can almost hear the mechanical sound. It's, Love it. Yeah. Oh, it was just the audience reacted to every single moment. It was well over half full upstairs at the Hollywood. It was such a great screening. I think I've seen that film so many times, but I think it's the first time I've seen it on the big screen. There was a double feature screening about 10 years ago at event that was American Werewolf in London and Thing back to back. And I remember going to that and that that was like just such a masterpiece because American Mm. Werewolf, it's like such a fun movie and such a great and then you go to the thing and it's like it's just so next level from American Werewolf. You know, Mm, it's kind of like. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to diss on American Werewolf no. as much as I'm happy to like 
say that John Landis is a criminally irresponsible, horrible human being. Mm. It's like, it's American Werewolf, uh, still uh, a great legal team. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> I mean, alleged, he was non-allegedly convicted for, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, deaths on his set. Yes. Let's be, and, like, yeah. watching the behind-the-scenes for Kentucky Fried Movie when he's just having, like, He's just digging the grave driving into the thing. <laughs> yes. I, 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 shout out to the legal team. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that me again, apparently, yeah. I think. <laughs> I am not a lawyer. I what what can we say about Max Landis? <laughs> as little as Allegedly. possible. As little as possible. Shall All we? Right. Shall, yeah. we, shall we talk yeah. about... But actually, before we go away from the thing, um, yeah. it's the first time I was just uh, saying to Skeets um, um, off-air. That's just fun to say. off-air. Off-air. <laughs> professional. Uh, yeah, as <laughs> I feel so professional. Like, literally while we were yeah. waiting for Doug to turn up. So. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. But the Doug tardiness, um, I had time to mention that um, the thing... It's the first time on the big... Uh, watching it on the big screen was the first time I noticed that Right at the end, you could see, and I know it's been reported on the internet, but uh, you could see MacReady's breath. You could not see Child's breath. Right. Mm. And I've never, I've heard about it before, but I'd never been able to see it. And it was a 4K print. It was right, a yeah, beautiful yeah. print. Um, so I don't know if that indicates, if that means that definitely Child's is the killer or that MacReady is the thing. Because, I mean, they do set up, of course, that MacReady is the thing with the um, with his clothes being ripped to shreds and they never unset it up. But there is also previous uh, like kind of planting of clothes and other stuff. So, yeah, yeah it's um, yeah, I, I would have really liked to go f- to that screening, but I'd actually just watched it the week prior with my wife <laughs> who just couldn't get over how dated the special effects were. It's like, oh. Oh, really? And it come just, on, I yeah. love you, Sarah, but <laughs> come, on. Yeah, come on. She says she doesn't listen to these, no. which is probably <laughs> just probably as is. well. Since, uh, <laughs> it'll be a surprise when she gets served with papers. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> there are many worse things than not liking the thing. No. But, oh, um, but those Robotine effects are yeah, just amazing. Exactly. And yes, they, yeah. they are dated because they are you know 40 practical years old now effects, but, yeah. but the practical effects they still they scare my son he cannot watch that yeah. film because of the first uh, uh, <laughs> how effect old scene. is he uh, well this was I actually showed him probably a little bit too young so he was probably 12 <laughs> at yeah. the time but the first scene with the dogs yeah. bang he tapped out it's just yeah. that was horrific that and he was fair. done whereas Shaun of the Dead is his favourite movie of all time and we've watched you know very inappropriate family films um, all the way up to the remake of Dawn of the Dead and just freaking loves it but, but the, practical the special effects versus CGI yeah. Yeah. are so much more, you know, physical that you know, mm. for want of a better word, that the, the moment that happened, he knew he wasn't going to be able to handle it, and he was just like, "Nope, turn the thing off," and was out of the room. Yeah. So. The, the innovation of legs growing out of a severed head and then <laughs> scuttling away, and it, and it's almost it is played for laughs because it's done in the background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. While all the all the clusterfuck is going on in the foreground. <laughs> I did notice during this viewing some like kind of jumpy like bits of editing, like when they're doing all the testing and stuff like that. I feel like I feel like there were probably a couple scenes either that he didn't get to shoot or just moments like when everything's going to heck that's kind of like there's a little bit of like, oh, they didn't have quite enough to stitch it together, but they're just hoping that the you know complete chaos and and intensity of everything is enough to hold it together and 
to be fair, having seen it like probably four times previously, mm. and for this to be the first time I have that reaction is mm. trust me. I'm and, and be being a professional editor, a it's kind of like that's enough. Of I'm going to be talking about a film that is going to take that editing and just make it look utterly <laughs> seamless, and that's a good segue into what we're actually doing today because we're not doing a ludicrously specific. We're not no, doing our three. Films. We haven't got our pedantic pants no, on today. This is no. ludicrously what the fuck. You know? I, I, think, I think yeah, we tried to coordinate something around. Somebody's death, and then there's been so many deaths this year. We're just, we just vaguely chill. We this don't is... want to become a eulogy podcast. We don't want to be like, oh my god, this guy died. We yeah. better with watch through his movies. We do want to salute James Khan because he passed away yesterday. Absolutely. And this is more like a ludicrously just hang, just hanging, yeah. just just catching up. Well, my suggestion was to come up with ludicrously specific categories for five different films that we'd talk about, and um, that. Some people in the podcast may use it as an excuse to talk about other films. We have watched many films. <laughs> and and many just films. For, the, uh, for the legal team, he was looking directly at me. <laughs> so was I, I. I. I believe that can't be slander or libel. I can't remember which one's, written, which one's printed, which we, we can confirm with reams of evidence that that's a fully accurate description. <laughs> and we'd have to do discovery, and that would take an awful long time to discover all the movies you've watched. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I decided I'd be preemptive and start the trend first um, so my first category is the best film about filmmaking that is not a documentary set in sudan well Oof. why would i say that because the best film about filmmaking that i have seen is a documentary set in sudan called talking about trees that's on movie and it's about four friends in their 70s who are all sudanese filmmakers and one of them's made the documentary and filmmaking has been outlawed in Sudan for quite a while at the start of this. But they all grew up overseas and made films and they came back. And then Sudan became a theocracy and civil war. Da, da, da. I'm not a Sudanese expert. So apologies for anyone who's listening and listening to how grossly I'm distorting it. But it's fundamentally a film about four guys who love filmmaking, who are hanging out, and they're trying to get a screening in a country where screening films has been illegal and not mm -hmm. happening for a long time. And it's just one of the great low-key hangouts, but it also is really about the joy of um, four friends who love making films. It's so, freaking awesome. Uh, for brevity, I've seen it on the say-so of, um, of Doug, so it would be my pick as well. Oh, nice. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. under that very yeah. specific... Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I've seen films about filmmaking yeah. that aren't set in Sudan, which have... I've, yeah, so yeah. I was just clarifying that's why <laughs> I phrased it. <laughs> yeah. um, but it is. It's, it is brilliant. It's deeply political and, yes. and deeply sad, too. It's, yeah. Um, but it is also just like, there's just something so lovely about mm. hanging out with these old guys who've been, you know, chasing the dream and are now in their 70s and are surrounded by the detritus of their attempts of making things happen and yet still kind of keeping the faith. Um, and trying to get Django Unchained. Yes, changed. yes. Right. That's, that's a funny <laughs> thing. It's like, what's something that would appeal to everybody and even young people? How about Django Unchained? I'm like, oh my God, how's this going to go over? Um, but we yeah no spoilers there um the film that i'm going to mention which i actually watched on the plane to london um and which affected me really similarly and even more so is um the complete opposite in every way because for starters it is a japanese anime uh and it is called pompo the cinephile and pompo is is a studio head who is stylized as a three and a half foot tall girl with curls who runs around making demands like um 
Burt Lancaster and Sweet Smell of Success or some <laughs> oh kind God. of like J. Jonah Jameson in the, in the Spider-Man movie. You know, that kind of tyrannical studio. Does she studio talk about had... cookies filled of arsenic? <laughs> no, but just, um, but she is, she is a bit positive, but she, run, and so she runs this movie of like, B, B, that makes all, the studio that makes all these B movies of, you know, like, um, undersea monsters attacking bikini babes and stuff and just all of this and she hires this really incredibly nerve-wracked passionate young filmmaker as her assistant and he's got this dream project and and so he, on a whim um, she decides to fund his serious art film that, you know while um, continuing her uh, string of nonsensical films and uh, it is just the hugest mix of entertaining and f- um, formal play in terms of, you know, film within film. And it starts by saying, you know, some, her saying, no film should be over 90 minutes. And it literally ends. <laughs> I like her already. Mi- cut, cut, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, um, and so going between like quite silliness, but also um, some really strong um, emotional stuff that, again, will be really resonant with anybody who's made films. So I just, you know, is the right film at the right time, maybe, and it was just, I was on a flight. I've seen some mixed reviews of it, and I don't watch a lot of anime these days, so, like, I don't know if somebody who watches a lot would feel like, oh, it's a bit kind of like there's lots of people doing this, or it's a bit old hat. But, yeah, it hit me in the right place. Nice. All right. So this is where we get a little bit less specific because, of course, we don't know they're each other's categories. So we're immediately (laughs) scrolling through our letterbox list for something to fit Doug's category. Uh, Oh, no, sorry. I didn't mean that we all had to. Oh, no. I don't know. We're doing it. Oh, my God. I'm I'm going to do some of this. Okay. I'm I'm only going to just one name it and just give you a little uh, tiny sum up because I did watch it quite a while ago. My favorite film about filmmaking that was not a documentary, The Editor. Uh, oh right! Is that good? I've been meaning to watch that forever. It's, it's silly. It's Astron Six. It's a horror yeah. movie. Ostensibly. It's a horror movie. That's it's on Shutter. Um, it uh, came out in 2014. Uh, and here's the synopsis. A one-time and now one-handed master film editor <laughs> toiling in the cinematic sweatshops of 1970s Italy becomes the prime suspect in a series of brutal murders. This is one where I have not given it a rating on Letterboxd because the only time I don't give a rating on Letterboxd is when I finish watching the movie and go... I don't actually know what I think of this movie. I'll right. have to watch it more than once because it's hard to describe. That synopsis does not even touch the surface. And I watched it mainly because I wanted to watch a movie about editing because Doug is an editor. <laughs> because I've watched a lot of movies with bad editing. And the editing in this one is bloody good. Yeah. But the plot is... <laughs> it should be. It's it twisty. Really. It's right. very twisty. So um, I definitely think you would dig it. So, cool. Yeah. Um, by the way, I would recommend the documentary The Cutting Edge. The Cutting Edge. Um, it's an extra on the bullet uh, DVD, and I've got I've got it on the second disc. But it's nice. a feature-length thing about editing that nice. is talks cool. about several films. And I, I my favorite moment in it is when one of James Cameron's editors on Terminator 2 talks about how they were running over. And he suggested that, like, what if we remove a frame every 24 frames? And everyone just looked at him because that's a nonsensical idea. But because it's James Cameron, he makes people do it. And then you get to see what that looks like. But, um, but it is kind of a... Explains a lot about editing. Nice. Well, it's um, I too was desperately trying to find a film. That... <laughs> right, this is what I intended. It's so okay. <laughs> no, right. this will be interesting. That's fine. We no, we'll, we'll just we we'll just yeah. give a very brief synopsis. We're not going to yeah. try and describe the whole it's... film. Otherwise, we'll be here for days. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I managed to come up with one where there's definitely 
definitely is some uh, filmmaking inside of it is Chippendale Rescue Rangers. <laughs> oh, right. I've heard some interesting I've things heard about, about this. this. Yes, yes. That it, that it's, it, it doesn't do what you expect. <laughs> it, well, it certainly doesn't. And it's, it's basically a... It's a, a modern-y type version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, really, right. to a degree. It even has Roger Rabbit in it. <laughs> it's of course, a, so. Point. <laughs> the, the passing of the crazy torch. Uh. <laughs> but it's, um, it's just... It's a lot of fun. And um, they managed to get a, a lot of um, subversive jokes about... Um, about animated characters in there, and uh, they have a, a more than a cameo from um, Ugly Sonic, the Sonic who never got his, <laughs> never got his movie. The Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic ugly. the Hedgehog. The, the first, oh, oh, right, that whole controversy about the one with the, 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 the um, teeth, basically. Teeth, yes, yes, and they very much do focus on the teeth. teeth. Oh, right. Oh, that turns into horror. Yeah, it's, okay. I don't want to give too much away, but it's just, it's a lot of cameos. It's... It's quite funny in places. They do a Swedish chef ripoff. Um, Sold. <laughs> <laughs> we're in. We're both in. And, yeah. um, and it can be quite quite dark in places. Right. Um, and it's yeah, it's it. And there is a little bit of filmmaking because it's about um, Chip and Dale, who basically their partnership breaks up. Um, the where one of them is trying to go into serious films and the other just wants to carry on with the show. Um, the one that goes off um, ends up um, getting himself uh, 3D enhanced, so he becomes a CGI. Oh, and wow. the other and the other one is remains line drawn, normal line drawn animation. Okay. So it's it's as meta as a meta that thing. That does sound very meta. <laughs> yeah, but it's fun. Well, what's it, the metaphor? Oh. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow, we missed those, haven't we? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I've been missing it, Bob. <laughs> shall we move on? Yes, then? we shall. Your right. turn. So my turn, uh, my category is a nice simple one. Best in-cinema experience. Because Ooh, I've only okay. really been to two movies in this, uh, two uh, movies actually in the cinema this year because I've been so careful with COVID. Um, it was early in the year was um, the, the new uh, Del Toro. Oh, course, Nightmare Alley. Nightmare Alley, but... Just this last weekend, a double feature at uh, the Capital Cinema in Auckland, which is the first time I've been to the Capital Cinema since it's been restored, and it's, it's absolutely, great. it's a movie nerd haven. It's it's it old school, and yet it's... And comfy. It's comfy as hell. I was going to say, the seats are the best seats I've sat in mm-hmm. any movie theatre. And it was a double feature of Mad Max 2 and Aliens, which is pretty much my jam right from the beginning, and also because I was able to take my son to... Mad Max 2 and Aliens because both have been reclassified. They were R16, R13 when they came out and they are now both M. Ooh. So the M in New Zealand, if you're under 16, you can still go and see it. It's basically, yeah, you should probably be 16, but if you want to go see it, knock yourself out. Do you need a parent? No. Oh, right. You don't yeah. need a parent on an M. So if it was an RP16, then I could have taken him still, but the M is just like great. And the print for Mad Max 2, the, the new DCP, I assume it is, is stunning, crystal clear, Ooh. and the aliens is even they've even tidied up the the little bit of the film grain from the defective stock back in the eighties, and the sound at the Capitol was amazing. I mean, literally, an alien hits the, the the metal door, 
and I felt vibrations go up both arms. And at the end of Mamex 2, I had goosebumps on both arms the size of duck eggs. It was yeah. huge. So getting to, you know, show my son Mad Max 2 for the first time on a big screen with that sound is was just one of the best experiences I'm going to have this year, up to including the movie Marathon. I think it's 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 a bit early to give Father of the Year awards, but yeah, I think we probably is. can just go ahead and like get the engravers on it already. Our, our family movie of the week before had been Kill Bill Volume 1, so I don't think I'm going to win Father of the Year on any, <laughs> any point. It would be the <laughs> Father of the Year yeah. award as presented by Sif. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Kill Bill Volume 1, reclassified as M by <laughs> <laughs> And, I mean, there's been a bit of big debate on Aliens on uh, a message board I'm on about whether or not the director's cut is should have been released because it does expand it and messes with the pacing a little bit and it, mm. it, it kind of gives a little bit too much, you know, backstory right at the start that you, in the theatrical cut, you kind of, you find out what's happened to the colonists rather than just having it served up on a plate. Mm. But I still love the director's cut. It, it's just the, especially the, the sentry gun scene, mm. which should have been in the theatrical, but of course it would have just, push the running time out quite a bit i mean you're over two and a two and a quarter hours for that yeah. but for me every frame in that movie is amazing if i if i had to live a day where all i could only speak in movie quotes it would be aliens so you know <laughs> until i went to bed where it's like is game over man game kind over. of how you live your uh, <laughs> pretty much yeah though i do sort of sprinkle in some on some other ones mm. as well but yeah mm. it's just it's just such a fun movie and on the the giant screen yeah just being able to watch it and that that you know, filling the entire field of vision again is just is just amazing. And I used to watch that literally probably more than once a year because it was a chill out movie I'd put on the background when I was doing homework in school. Yeah, yeah. I um, I actually the last time I saw Aliens was in 2019. The previous time I was in London, I saw a 70 mil print at the Prince Charles Cinema, which coincidentally is where I had my best in cinema experience of the year uh, with RRR, ah. which... Uh, ah. Have you seen that now, Darren? Did you <laughs> no, go to the Hollywood? No, okay. Yeah, not. I recently just played the Hollywood, and I uh, contemplated doing a second run at it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, a lot's been said about uh, Tollywood's uh, three-hour spectacular, and I won't belabor the point other to, than to say it is as much of a crowd-pleaser as you've heard. Uh, it went over so well. That was the first screening that they'd done uh, at the Prince Charles, and so like it had, you know, the initial kind of Indian cinema run that all things get, and I'd missed uh, its screenings in uh, New Zealand, despite having seen Bahubali by the director, which and knowing that like RRR was supposed to be a big deal, and then I got to London, and it's like. 9.30 p.m. on a um, screening, you know, that's like wow. an hour east in some Indian part of town. I'm like, okay, so I'm missing this on the big screen. But then there's the hype built about it that Prince Charles brought it back for what was going to be a one-off screening. And that went over so well that they're now it's now on their calendar for like every month. Nice. Um, the Prince Charles has just an amazing, like, they'll play, every once in a while they'll play a film like... Um, uh, everything everywhere all at once or unbearable weight of massive talent and and you know but then and they'll give those quite a few screenings but then they'll be balancing it with like lots of retro screenings so yeah i'd give a um shout out to the hollywood for playing smooth talk that was probably my favorite new zealand uh theatrical experience of the year because i'd never seen it before and it was part of their female director's series which was i think a bit underappreciated because it was i think just when things were coming back um but uh, that's a really great uh, underrated Laura Dern film that starts off kind of seeming like one thing and almost doing an audition-like turn into another, and no spoilers. But I th think it's a film that if you started and watched the first 10 minutes of, you'd be like, 
I don't know about this one. And I would just say, just, just stick with hang, it. hang in there. Hang in there. It's no zombie so Hitler, but it's going to surprise you. Does the bag in the corner start moving? <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly uh, audition, and it's certainly not. You don't have audition to s- on my watch list to watch, and I still haven't seen it. So yeah. no spoilers on that. Because no. I hear I'm going um, like, to. There's a tone shift <laughs> in audition. I think. Yeah, I think I everybody heard. who's heard of audition knows that at this yeah, point. Yeah, I have heard that it and, has a serious. Yeah, and it's not. Here. And it's not as. Um, and yeah, and smooth talk is not as. Uh, transgressive certainly by any means like it's not there's not not even anything physically that like confronting in terms of what you'll see visually it's just kind of oh this is not going where i thought it would be going um yeah i could go on and talk about seeing gaspar noe at the bfi but instead i'll pass it over today we'll just leave that hanging (laughs) hanging. Uh, a bunch of short films anyway Well, it's uh, my best um, in cinema, cinema theatrical experience would be the unbearable weight of everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen both of those ones. <laughs> it was one film. <laughs> it was just a metapalooza, both of those films. <laughs> nice. And it, it's um, the Nicolas Cage of unbearable weight is just, the, the audience was mm. there to... Um, this was a one-off screening at the Hollywood. Right. They were there to see and enjoy Nicolas Cage doing every kind of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah. It's that we even get... We get close to a crying on the toilet scene. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw it at the Prince Charles and, the, and with a crowd and one of my friends from film school and Sarah, because she had to review it, and it went off a treat. It's <laughs> just... It, and it's just they manage if it was just a whole bunch of meta jokes and I'm not going to go into the story because if you haven't seen it yet you just should um, but if they if it was just a whole bunch of meta jokes then it would have been okay and it would be a film you'd watch and then you'd put away and you'd never think about but it's but it's actually got some depth and it's got some pathos to it and it has characters that you want to hang out with pedro pascal is just (laughs) so good it's such a rad bromance you know it (laughs) It is is. such like it is the ultimate bromance film i think and it is um for me like is it as clever as adaptation and as smart no but i think it's it's trying for something it's doing completely different you know And, and it has just such a big heart to it Absolutely, and apparently I was uh, listening to an interview with the um, the director writer, um, and uh, and it was always meant to be Nicolas Cage. They had no backup if he had. <laughs> if he didn't, uh, would do it. Yeah, it, was it wasn't John Megan, Malkovich. Nicolas certainly. Cage doesn't turn down a lot of movies. <laughs> as far as I'm aware. <laughs> oh, that's unfair. Nicholas, we've got a movie. Oh, you're in. Okay, oh, he's already in character. Okay. <laughs> and and to me, everything, everywhere, all at once was just an absolute joy of a film. I know that uh, there may be various member um, sitting here who may have. Um, <laughs> uh, Darren's views. giving the sound of somebody who's read my letterbox review, and I'll just refer everybody to that. Oh, I'll have to be the splitting. I'll, I'll, it's in my queue, ready to go. It's meant yeah. to stream at some stage, but yeah. it's um, yeah. I'll be the deciding vote on that one. Although it's Michelle Yeoh's. So, uh, well, again, lie. it's <laughs> again if they if to me if they stuck to all just the meta of it. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be anywhere near as good. They they do create a depth. All the characters get more to do than just your average 
your average type of silly film would oh, do. Oh, they get a lot to do. <laughs> it's so much to do. <laughs> yeah, but, but James motherfucking Hong, isn't it? <laughs> he is. And he's, what, 92, 93? Sure, yeah. yeah. And he, he actually has a significant role That's and true. gets to play um, the villain in some parts of the movie. <laughs> and uh, it's just... But it's the... Again, it's the... They really ground... There's some really crazy sequences, which they ground with with um, with emotion, and um, I yeah I loved it. I mean yes, there are um, scenes of people sticking trophies up um, up their asses, um, but uh, you you haven't turned me off the film, though. But <laughs> wow, we're learning so much more about speech today. Um, but that to me is just was such. A small part of any kind of part of this movie that it it didn't I, I wouldn't dwell on that at all it's I love it I I feel actually warmly emotional towards that film it's a hug movie to me like um Donnie Darko Pig the strange films to choose but they just kind <laughs> of they they have a I feel a a warmness towards the film, and um, this is another one which I really do. Someone else. Oh no, it's your turn. It's your turn. It's your turn. Yeah, yeah, because I'm not. I'm not going to try to look. I mean, it's a film that people seem to love, and it's yeah, like seems to love the people. highest rated film on Letterboxd ever. And all I know is when somebody else says, "I don't know," it just didn't connect with me. I feel a little less alone in my heart. Yeah, it's and not. Every, it. Not every movie is going to be for everyone. No, you know? that's right. And if you there just want to be people, a cold, is... dried husk of a person who can't connect to the best film yeah. out there, I, I talked to myself one time. By reading the letterbox one star reviews of Singing in the Rain. Yeah. And it was just like, I don't get why they're singing. I will murder you in your sleep. <laughs> it's in the fucking title. Yeah. <laughs> Moses supposes you toes us that fuck you. <laughs> uh. <laughs> There's this long dance scene and they never cut. Why aren't they editing more? <laughs> I can't stand it. <laughs> anyway, well, seeing as we are allowed to come up with our own um, ludicrous categories, specific our own ludicrously <laughs> specific categories, then. That is my chance to uh, to jam in here. The best Vincent Price steals the movie by acting like he's in a different movie, film, <laughs> which is the... going to be hard for us. <laughs> yeah, I think this is going to speed up the podcast because I don't. For think the record, they're all looking at their phones, seeing if they can find one. This is a film that probably shouldn't work and in some cases doesn't because it's quite a long film his kind of woman directed by richard fleischer i can hear i can see uh, does <laughs> oh, suddenly yes. being interested uh, mm. and it's a starts off as a kind of um moody film noir with um robert mitchum and um, as a ex-con who is um, approached by um, just gotten out of prison, uh, a much more of a con, but um, but a legitimate businessman type as well, um, the Perry Mason of it all, Raymond Burr, who's the major bad guy in this. Um, gets someone to approach him to pretend to be him. So, uh, and um, 
so he has to um, go to Mexico, to a Mexican resort. Um, and th- on his way, he meets, is it Jane Russell? It is. And um, also Vincent Price is there at this Mexican resort playing an incredibly egotistical but likable um, movie star who uh, just from the moment he arrives decides to take over the whole fucking movie. <laughs> and, and it's no longer a... Um, a well, his scenes are in certainly no way a um, a dark film noir. It then becomes the Vincent Price is a lovable egotist <laughs> who um, also decides to get gets himself involved in the action scenes of the movie. There's also um, a bits where Robert Mitchum gets tortured by um, and it they don't really pull back much. Right. But it's two hours long. Okay. <laughs> so it's it it's a little bit of a slog in places. But when Vincent Price turns up, and let's face it, it shouldn't work. But he's so hilarious, and he's mm. he becomes the hero of the picture, trying to go and save Robert Mitchum, and it's just. I, I once again I know I sound very inarticulate when I talk about these films, but I really don't want to give away much other than mm. it's worth a look. Right. Yeah. And it's just really entertaining. Just know it's two hours long, <laughs> and no, no action comedy film should be. It's that is also yeah. a noir. Yeah, that's, that's, you could <laughs> that be also has yeah. quite nasty torture scenes. Should be two hours <laughs> right. long. It does sound fascinating, though. So. But yeah, so is, what's your favorite Vincent Price? Uh, <laughs> scrolling, scrolling. I don't think I've actually watched a Vincent Price movie this year, so no. I will defer back to. Dan. <laughs> uh, as it turns out, I haven't either. I will. Um, instead completely pivot by saying Vincent Price was in Witchfinder General, which is one of the films featured in Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, yes. which was re- released in a box set called All the Haunts Be Ours, which is an amazing box set that features 14 folk horror <laughs> films that I'm working my way through. And the best film in that is <laughs> Il Demonio, or a.k.a. The Demon, an Italian um, exorcism film that pre-stages oh, the exorcist. Yeah, it's yeah, black and white. I've been meaning to put it on very late at night. It's because... like... What if, like, yeah, sort of a Roberto Rossellini, like, very early Fellini kind of, like, earthy realism, but an actual exorcism pick? And it is just a blindsiding of a film with a performance, um, lead performance that, again, kind of wow. lifts it, um, you know... She, but again, I mean, it's not it's fair to say she's not in the same film as everybody else, but she isn't because she's possessed. And so it is kind of, you have this really grounded kind of thing. And then the, this intense female performance at the center of it. So that's a long bow to draw, but that's what we're here for. <laughs> well, no, and, and um, one from that box set that Vincent Price might have seen was, uh, he might have sat down and watched The Lake of the Dead, which oh, I know yes. that um, oh, yeah. friends we watched recently. Yep. Yeah. We've all watched. Lake of the, yeah, that's it's, a good film, It's a man. very not me choice of a movie but when i put it on i was very glad i did because it's it's a you know it's a little more slow paced and but it was very very good and i do recommend that yeah it reminded me of the framing sequence of 
Dead of Night, I think it is. One of those... Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, where it's, you know, everybody kind of gets together. Yes, yeah, cabin absolutely. And stuff like that. And then things start... You know, obviously there's no shortage of people getting together in the cabin movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we just rewatched Cabin in the Woods, actually. Nice. Um, okay, that means it's my turn for a category number two. Best film that isn't really a film, but I logged on Letterboxd anyway. This is your chance for <laughs> oh, yeah. film-adjacent objects. Yes. Ooh, um, whether or not you actually logged it on Letterboxd. And, um, I'm looking at one right now. <laughs> and there's, there's a, this is a tie between two. Um, one which is uh, feature length, but I wouldn't have normally considered. It's called Line Goes Up, The Problem with NFTs. I've heard of that. Yep. And it's um, by a guy named uh, Don Olson. Uh, Dan Olson, I can't even remember. And it falls into the genre of 80 minutes of a bearded guy talking to his webcam about something. And I have friends that watch heaps of this stuff. And I, you know, they're always posting, you need to watch this. And it's like <laughs> 74 minutes of why this video game is, um, you know, offensive to people of, you know, South Indian, de- South Asian descent. And I'm like, no, no I'll, just, yeah. I'll just trust you that it is and move on. I've with got other things to watch. <laughs> um, but after about the fourth or fifth time, I like, Decided to watch it, and it was more, um, despite largely being exactly what I say it is, in terms of its editing, its pacing, like, look, if it, if that Al Gore thing with him doing a slideshow can be a movie, this is more of a movie than that is. It's incredibly well argued, for, and it explains kind of the whole cryptocurrency, everything that both um, technologically and philosophically undergirds this moment in time that, you know, we're now, I mean, since it came out, crypto has, you know, gone off a cliff and in fright in flames. And I, I think very few people are like, Oh, should I maybe invest in crypto now? Um, other than some people who are trying to extract value from it. It's like, it'll bounce. It's like, yeah, in the same way when a car bounces off when it <laughs> yeah. hits the cliff, the, the um, and, bounce you know, and somebody tries, like <laughs> yeah. the body jumps out, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, the other one. So I'm very pedantic, historically about not logging television on Letterboxd. And it's only this year that I broke that because I decided to make the exception for, okay, if a show is of finite duration, you know, which, you know, it's a, it's, it's just a, it's a series that has a beginning, middle and end. He's about to talk about WandaVision, everybody. (laughs) And is all by one director. Is WandaVision all by one director? I haven't watched it. Actually, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so if it's a single director vision <laughs> and it's it's closed, it, it arguably mm-hmm. counts more as yeah. a film than mm-hmm. some Marvel films that exist as long form serial entertainment, you know. Uh, and that brings us to Landscapers, which is directed by ah. a fellow named Will Sharp, stars Olivia Coleman and David Thewlis. And it's a kitchen sink uh, anti-true crime drama, which is to say it is true crime, but it's about these this couple that does something bad and um, pisses away overseas and tries to hide and then turns himself in. And, uh, and so it has a few of the true crime tropes, but it also resoundingly takes the piss and undercutting them there's a scene where the cops drive off to go somewhere and it's just staged perfectly in this sort of awkward slow moving thing but also mm. this kind of big build up I mean um, David Thewis I only ever think of as being from Naked but of course he has lots of other things but this is as anti-Naked as he gets and Olivia Coleman, who is often so um, fiercely intelligent in a film like The, Lo- 
the lost daughter or something, plays an incredibly simple mm. woman with equal conviction. And it's just, um, yeah, it's just, it was my, it, there, I very rarely rate anything five stars on a first viewing, and I rated that five stars. I, I can barely ever be bothered to watch true crime and the fact that I loved it. I think people who really love true crime are a bit annoyed by it. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, just the... Um, just the cin- cinematic quality of the direction mm. transcended most of the actual cinema I've seen this year. When you see something that's insultingly shot in front of a bunch of green screens and composited by the lowest bidder to look sort of like it all happened in the same place. And then not mentioning any names of films I may have seen this week. Yeah. And then, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> oh wait, and then, uh, you, and then you see something like this that's made for, you know, the catering budget of that film that's actually cinema. It's like, oh, mm. yeah. I've seen the first episode of that and yeah. it's just, the performances are stunning. And yeah. it's, it has a, a cringe factor to it, which is... Um, yeah. There's actually a similar show right now called The Thief, His Wife, and the Canoe or something like oh, that. Um, and we watched the first episode of that. And Eddie... Like, yeah, Eddie... Um, yeah, uh, Marson. Yeah, and, yeah. um, and it was Marson. like, oh, right, this is like the really banal Coronation Street version of Landscapers. Like, it's a similar, like, two people who aren't that bright embarking on a very bad scheme. That, and, it, and it's just like the kind of... It uses every cliche that landscapers ignores, and if you're happy for just like, you know, conventional entertainment mm-hmm. presenting you of interesting story, it's fine. But mm. right. well, my um, movie that's not a movie that I put on Letterbox because it kind of is a movie uh, is it, they allow you to put it, 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 to put it on yeah, there. Yeah. And I, I assume this may even had a theatrical release, but for my mind, it's not exactly what I would call me Muse Simulation Theory, which is actually a concert film. By Muse, with a sci-fi story wrapped into it. Is this like that Metallica thing where they threw the Never, where they had like the movie and then also this action story going on? Exactly that. And because Muse, I mean, I love Muse as a band, and I love their concert footage because I've never actually had a chance to see them in concert, which really pissed me off. And I'm hoping that they're going to come out because their new album's coming out this year. So I'm hoping they're going to tour, and hopefully we'll be able to actually have concerts again. Mm. But um, yeah, all their concerts have, have always played with this concept of technology a lot of times i mean they they use a lot of different technology with their instruments and things like this but this they really actually wrap a storyline of a little of a kind of a sci-fi almost a metropolisy kind of sci-fi story into it which then they wrapped into the concert footage and it's another one i didn't actually give a rating on letterbox i logged it but i didn't rate it because it's kind of like i i feel like it's a cheat logging something that for me isn't actually a movie if it's a concert one but it's if you're a Muse fan, I'm sure you've already seen it. If you're not a Muse fan, I still would recommend it because the just some of the. Do you think it'd be a good gateway itself. drug? Because I've so, never yeah. quite got into Muse, but I, I I'm not necessarily like averse to the idea of. Getting I think, into if, Muse. especially if you saw it on a big screen, I think so because the just the visuals and the the staging itself. Okay. I mean the the amount of they put people on stages and, for instance, with helmets that can project different things on them and just the, the, the stage design, the lighting and the technology around them is phenomenal. So this could be your first snort of music. Exactly. Of just a little just a little just a little line of music. I have yeah, heard yeah. a bit of them before yeah. and they sounded like um, this generation's queen to me. Yeah, they are I mean they, they everything everything they do is pretty much aimed at stadium rock. Right. It is yeah. big, it is, you know, and it it's, gets the crowd up. But I just I just love to and the, the sound they get out of only a three piece band. 
is just ridiculous. So um, yeah, so that's definitely my 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 favorite not quite a movie movie that I've seen. Okay, well my favorite not quite a movie movie, which is actually a movie but a TV movie uh, uh, from the nineteen seventies, is Mike Lee's Nuts in May. Right. Which um, it was a play for today and is just, is definitely the funniest movie I have seen this year. Wow. Um, it, Not an adjective I normally associate with Mike Lee. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, it uh, played at Doug's house when Doug wasn't there. <laughs> Just to be clear, did, Darren was subletting. He wasn't breaking no, in. No, I was, I was breaking in. Need to get in there to watch his movies. I need, I need to get an edge. I was, <laughs> that's what I do. I break into people's houses and invite about eight own. other people. And, <laughs> no, it's... Um, Something that um, that Skeets and uh, I do um, with a whole bunch of others fairly regularly on um, holiday weekends is the choose your own adventure where we all choose a, um, a very disparate movie which we wish to inflict upon others. We might have seen it. We might have not. In this case, I might have not. Um, and um, I was the first one up. So this was the opening of our 12 hours of... <laughs> Of filmage, and it's it is just it's freaking hilarious, and it's simply and it is very simply about a um, a couple, the most insufferable couple you have ever. These are the people you would emigrate to avoid. <laughs> nice. um, it's um, Roger Sloman. And uh, what's her name? Um, and uh, um, oh, he was married to her. What is her name? Um, I'm desperately looking this up because I'm this is me. <laughs> this, is, this is what this is what people have been missing for six months. <laughs> Absolutely, Alison Stedman and oh, Roger she's actually somebody I've heard of. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, that is why I took the time to look it up. I know I was wasting your time, but I was enriching Doug's time, <laughs> and that's all that matters. <laughs> and it's a very simple story. It's a middle class couple. They go camping in Dorset, but peace and quiet elude them because they're horrible people and the th interesting thing is that they are um, they're the people who eat nut loaf they are, um, everything has to be organic nowadays they would be the heroes yep. of any given movie <laughs> right. they, they are choosing to um, live off the land and they are all vegetarians and they won't put anything bad into their bodies. They're just freaking horrible people. <laughs> it's, they think they're nice people, but they have those kind of whiny voices. And it's Keith. <laughs> oh, and they're, oh, uh, and they, um, it starts with them um, uh, singing songs about their, about their travel. And it's just... It is cringe comedy in the most extreme, and yet it was hilarious. We laughed from minute one to um, minute 87, so it's uh, 84 even. Nice. So it's right. nice but and short. you laughing for three minutes after the credits. Oh, so absolutely. It's, it's, it's brilliantly funny, and these are the people, it's... if. It's basically sightseers, if you um, have... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Ben yeah, Wheatley film. Yeah. yeah. 
if you wanted these characters to die from the first frame of the movie, because <laughs> <laughs> you, you would never be on their side if these people from Nuts and May started killing. <laughs> you would just... But it, it's brilliant, and I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, well, some of those TV movies that pop out from the, you know, I've, I watched the, based on the title alone and uh, a documentary I've seen which mentioned it, The Year of the Six Olympics. Right, oh yeah, sixties, and it was phenomenal. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, Brian Cox is yeah, yeah. such and a Leonard British, and... such a British. Bit all those of Alan Clark yeah. films, I've been going yeah. through that box mm. set and finding all his old TV yeah. stuff, and that's incredible. And um, and that what was that uh, train movie? It was Disaster on the um, Coastliners? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah that we watched. The... Yes, yeah. um, with uh, William Shatner. Shatner. Yeah, well, that's always fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. to be fair, big surprise there. Exactly. Uh, we didn't watch it with William Shatner, just to be sure. <laughs> I'm not sure he would have. Legal, yeah. uh, just so uh, no. he wasn't with he us. Wasn't. He was in the, <laughs> in the movie. All right, next category. Next category. Well, this is a nice, simple one from me: the WTF Award, the movie that hurt my brain the most in the last six months, and I ended up with three of them that could have fitted this. And possibly a couple of others. Um, originally, it was going to be the telephone book, which Ooh, I found on, yeah, yeah. Which I found oh, on Tubi, and had just the experience of going. I'm not sure. It's it's one of the most New Yorky films, underground films I've ever seen. Uh, then they got superseded by a movie I watched during a solo 24-hour movie marathon, which is a thing apparently I do now. <laughs> uh, shout out to Mr. Ryan Chataway on Twitter who puts up the categories for the uh, 24-hour. Torture South Marathon this year. Um, I put that on at 3 o'clock in the morning, a movie called, and I'm going to give you the punctuation in this as well, Help Me, dot, 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 I'm Possessed, exclamation mark, <laughs> which was an Italian thing. Um, apparently, I think an Exorcist ripoff, but at 3 o'clock in the morning, I literally, at one stage, just pulled out the phone and recorded a video of myself simply looking at the film and saying, I don't know what the fuck is going on here. <laughs> Um, and I still don't, so I don't actually recommend that film. And then I ended up this uh, past month doing June Exploitation, which was uh, if this movie uh, is uh, our website on that has always comes up with thirty categories in thirty days. And for the eighties horror, I went with what I saw on Tubi and thought was an Italian horror movie, something called Devil Story. Oh, yes. No. Devil's Story is not an Italian horror. It's a French horror. It's, oh, wow. Um, you went to so many levels in the way you said I horror. I put a lot of syllables in that because <laughs> I am never going to understand exactly what was happening in this movie. Apparently, the big thing with this movie, because it starts off in an incredibly confusing way with a murder happening, kind of a slashery type thing happening. But it doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the movie. And then someone on Twitter who knows more about this than me, a, a French uh, Twitter account, let me know that apparently the movie was too short. So the opening pre-credit sequence was filmed by the director, his wife, and their son to make it get <laughs> creep out. Well, it's I think it's 78 Fief minutes long. Yeah, possibly. possibly. <laughs> uh, I knew what I was in for at this stage because getting back to editing, uh, the, uh, the director's wife walks... A, through one of the scenes, walking through the woods, stops and turns around, and then there's a cut to her walking in the same direction she originally was. She turned around to go back for a second take, and they didn't edit it out the film. <laughs> and all of a sudden they went, this is going to be something that's going to hurt. It's just almost incomprehensible. I called it willfully incomprehensible, 
and almost niggle and almost niggle. Yeah, I can't even say the word. Niggle, no, you can't. Niggly insane. It's there's stuff happens and people turn up like a mummy turns up in this movie, and there is no explanation for it. A man goes out to shoot a horse that is possessed by the devil. Not making that up. He goes out in the middle of the night, starts shooting a shotgun. Bang! I will kill you! Bang! I will kill you! I was informed the reason he was doing that is he was not a good enough actor to shoot and act at the same time. (laughs) He's shooting in the middle of the night, definitely not on the same scene as the uh, horse, which is a a different field with different lighting. They cut away to do some other gibberish. They come back at daylight, 10 o'clock in the morning maybe, he's still shooting from his double-barrel shotgun. (laughs) And because the film still wasn't long enough, they continually loop the footage. So he fires, I think on a conservative count, 87 bullets from his double-barrel shotgun. Then... When you absolutely got to get the job done. No, he never hits the horse. Oh, okay. He never hits the horse. He's now in the field with the horse, which is running past him as he shoots it. He never hits it. Spoiler alert then, he gets killed. Someone picks up the gun and spends two minutes searching his pockets for a bullet to reload the gun. And I nearly, <laughs> nearly kicked on the screen in my TV going, it's a magic gun! He's fired it for eight consecutive hours. Just shoot the fucking horse. And then at the end of it, it does the, guess what? It was all a dream. Or was it ending? And I cannot even begin to describe just how much of every scene comes up does not seem connected to it. Actors appear in it that don't appear to know that what sort of movie they're in. One character appears to be in a Hammer Horror movie. One character appears to be in a Giello. And the director <laughs> appears to be on all the fucking drugs. So I highly recommend it. I reckon you yeah, should go see I, that. I'm, I'm it's, sold. It's on American Tubi. Um, so if you've got a BPN I think Vinegar here, Syndrome's put it out as well. So right. I might... Um, I might just take the Blu-ray plunge because that sounds like the sort of film that needs... uh... I'm seeing a lot of really good movies on Tubi because I discovered, I did the research, that VPNs are not not illegal in New Zealand because there's actually literally no litigation, no no legislation about VPNs. Until so, this moment. Until this wait, moment. Wait, wait. Um, once again, my lawyer will be putting on Tubi <laughs> yeah, yeah. that I don't use a VPN. But I do because it made Tubi go from a huge selection of movies Allegedly. to 300% more movies and the amount of great stuff that's popped up here. I've been really disappointed. I have a VPN for like uh, non-movie related reasons for dealing with American stuff. But I have tried to use it for both uh, the... BBC iPlayer and the Criterion Channel, and it doesn't work doesn't for either. Yeah, of BBC are so, pretty some strict. Some are pretty strict. I mean, Tubi is just like, just go for it, you know. Yeah. And, so, but I'm, I noticed one thing: you actually, if you have a VPN and you have the Disney Channel in New Zealand, you actually lose movies. Yeah, <laughs> because, because it has all the Fox it's got the Hulu stuff and the Fox, and, yeah, and it just yeah. half the movies just vanish entirely, and it's gone. Yeah. Like, okay. Cool. And actually, that, that's something I found with Netflix as well. There's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff here that's not not um, on there. So, but yeah. hmm. but if you're a Tubi fan and you love those those insane flicks that they put on there for for nothing and you're willing to right. sit I've seen my I've definitely seen my favourite film on it this year and I've seen my least favourite film <laughs> of uh, about the last 10 years on it which will be another category coming up all to itself well <laughs> yeah. uh, my my WT fuck um, <laughs> film would be uh, well there's there's two um, 
<laughs> but Night Beast and Winter Beast. Oh, wow. <laughs> the Vinegar Syndrome Beast double feature. That sounds like well, a double feature. I've seen Night it. Beast, of course. Uh, Winter it. Beast is <laughs> sort of more Winter Beast and Friends. <laughs> it's whatever whatever crazy claymation thing they yeah, could throw in front of the camera. Gosh, yeah. There's a witchy thing. I just can't. I just want to take it. I know this is your thing. I just want to say I haven't felt as pure a rush of endorphin joy as I have by simultaneously having two of my favorite movies involving the word beast and its conspicuous lack of talent um, endorsed at the same time. I yeah, but continue on. It's it is joyous, and I could explain a plot, but what plot it doesn't have oh, one either? It's uh, <laughs> is a and, beast in its winter. <laughs> absolutely, and and night beast. I mean, the most famous thing about it is it does have a decomposer, which is J.J. Abrams um, mm-hmm. is the uh, is decomposer, decomposer from the. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's just there's a joy in. They're making a film, <laughs> and there's no one particularly competent in front of or behind the camera, <laughs> or even at the sides doing the sound. Or and somehow magic is made. <laughs> it's truly just joyous fun. They're all just. Um, I, I call those blitz put on a show movies. It's kind of what yeah. it feels like they've got half the town around. I mean, there's there's a couple in which. Um, well, we watched know, Twister's Revenge Twister's the other Revenge. week, which I think yeah. has a similar sort of just getting spirit to yeah. it of like, hey, who do we know that'll let us drive through their house? Who do we know that owns a tank? <laughs> hey, Let's I'm make a movie around it. Yeah. Boom. So, Isn't that Rene Cardona? Or no, it's or? um. Uh, uh, oh, he's going to make it. Bill Rabane. Bill Rabane. Yes. Oh, Rabain. Yeah. So Bill Rabane doing that one, and the other one that I saw, I think, for a Christmas movie late last year was Feeders Two Sleigh Bells, which is oh yeah, is just made by basically a family and a camcorder. Yeah. And it's it's a lot of fun. It's got more heart to it than a lot of movies I've seen. Absolutely. Because it's just, just no actual just talent. Not talent, yeah, but, no. you, know, you know, everyone's got to start somewhere. And, and <laughs> once again, these were all, all due to, uh, <laughs> to to Douglas Dilliman, who... <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, man. Well, Winter Beast was my choice, uh, but I think I'll go with... Um, I'll go with a film called Split, actually, which is not to be confused with the M. Night Shyamalan. I was considering this, The Caller, but The Caller is actually almost too good to it's, be a it's WTF. It's closer great. to a Twilight Zone. And I was going to go with The Killer of Dolls, but I feel like that just needs all the trigger warnings in the world before I have Absolutely. anyone watch it. Absolutely. I almost thought about that one, but no. Yeah. <laughs> and um, The Battle Wizard is quite a good, quite surprising uh, martial arts one. And so, where did the snakes come from? Well, yeah. <laughs> Let's um, not delve too deep into that. So, uh, but Split is um, this uh, little shot on video curiosity that uh, got restored uh, recently and is, um, yeah, it's just from that late 80s, early 90s kind of techno thriller, one person with a vision um, putting together, yeah, again, sort of a let's make on a sh- make a show thing but instead of going to kind of a straightforward plot going someplace a bit more conspiratorial and confusing and i watched it at the very start of the year and i've watched 200 films since then so i've kind of the the details of it have eluded me but the overall vibe of just um you know that you're on one person's wavelength and that's i mean i guess that's the mm. thing with a lot of these things is that you know we're responding not to the production value, but either like this kind of communal spirit 
or individual vision, you know, that there's something there and like, and certainly in Split, it's not the performances. I'll tell you that for free. (laughs) But, um, but still, I just found, I, yeah, I was really struck by it. And definitely if uh, you like the idea of 90s shot on video, paranoid uh, stuff, I would say, check it out. Um, I think it's my category. So this category is, oh no, we lost another one. <laughs> and and there's been so many um, great actors and, well, actually just actors, directors, producers, the, the lot that um, have given us great joy through cinema that have passed. Um, unt- and we planned on doing this particular episode over the past month. It's, uh, I would have been up until, um, this weekend being talking about, uh, Ray Liotta. Of course. Yeah. Unfortunately, James Kahn James passed. Yeah. And out of, almost out of nowhere. Yeah. Who's such an amazingly versatile actor. And yet you don't really think about him as a versatile actor. Um, I've watched three uh, James Caan movies this weekend, and um, they are Harry and Walter Go to New York, which is a uh, directed by Mark Rydell. It has uh, James Caan and Elliot Gould as um, song and dance men, um, who are also con men who uh, use their shows to uh, pick pockets. And this is set in the um, in the twenties, thirties, or something. Um, Michael Caine is a um, a, a celebrity um, thief who's um, a millionaire who likes to uh, steal because it gives him a thrill. Uh, then Diane Keaton is <laughs> such a. It's got so much talent, and it's a fun film. It's just not a great one. Um, then Mickey Blue Eyes, which um, has Hugh uh, Grant, Hugh Grant, right? Hugh Grant yep. and um, and Gene Triplehorn and um, and James Caan is the um, mob boss dad, who's really just wants to see his daughter happy. Um, and that's really fun, but the best one, and it would also be as a category of biggest surprise film I've seen, Honeymoon in Vegas is fucking right. fantastic. Okay, that was one that I was looking at on uh, possible James Caan memorial screenings. It's just... Oh, yeah, uh, Nicolas Cage, Sarah Jessica Parker, and James Caan... You've got Nicolas Cage and Sarah Jessica Parker have been together for years. Uh, Nicolas Cage has been um, afraid of getting married ever since his mother on her deathbed made him promise that he would not get married. Um, And they never, ever explain why (laughs) she makes him. And that's played by Anne Bancroft, by the way, um, for about two seconds of the movie. And um, so he's skittish about getting married. He finally says, let's do it. They go to Vegas to get married. Um, When they arrive, James Caan sees Sarah Jessica Parker. And she looks exactly like his uh, past wife who died 30 years ago from cancer or something. And he contrives a way to um, get to know her, which is that he sends Nicolas Cage a um, 
an invite to um, to go to um, a uh, welcome to the hotel poker game where he proceeds to take him for about sixty thousand dollars. <laughs> And um, and so I'll I'll throw the um, the debt if you let me um, have your fiance um, for the weekend, and things get crazier from there. And you've got Nicholas Cage. Indecent proposal, but funny. Well, yeah, one year before <laughs> indecent proposal. Oh right, there wow. you go. As I always thought, well, it is a proposal. <laughs> <laughs> and Nicholas Cage is amazing. He's going so far and yet not quite far enough that he could he could turn the film into too over the top and he would become completely unlikable and he just stays a fraction of a smidgen of a sliver <laughs> of just on this side of not quite over the top and he's fantastic. It's an amazing performance. And it's a very unflattering one because the more... Because um, he's trying to get his uh, his girlfriend back. And the more um, anxious and hit up he gets, the more his hair thins and the whiter he looks. And he right. is... Uh, so he's just going for broke. And James Kahn is is just sort of... Slimy and likable. That that's pretty much James Caan yeah. definition. But yeah, and all three of these films I've seen, they, he his performance is so completely different mm. each time. I mean, he plays a song and dance man. Yeah, yeah. It's and funny it's, that um, with a lot of actors that have passed away recently, like often everything will coalesce around one or two roles like with Ray Liotta it's Goodfellas and Something hmm. Wild with Philip Baker Hall it's like oh you know the Paul Thomas Anderson films and on one of the forums I was on everybody's like what's the um, James Conn film you're putting on and the first 12 entries were all different you know yeah. and it's like That's he does not have a lot of bad films when I was going through his IMDB even in his well he has 124 yeah. films I'm pretty but, confident but even if you have a look I couldn't. I, you know, most actors with that range, you'll look, you'll find something that's a two and a yeah. half, a three and a half, fours, fives, maybe middle of the road films, but nothing. And but there are also films that you'd watch for his, his performance, yeah. even if it's not big. Like mine's Bottle Rocket, and he's you know, oh, I, I mean, apart from his fame at the time relative to everybody mm. else, he's reasonably like sixth or seventh in terms of mm. um, amount of screen time. But he just makes that film you know and Dogville's another one where he mm. only shows up at the end of this three hour film and he's in it for like eight minutes but he transforms that whole film um, and it just you know it just goes on and on and oh, it's like as many films yeah. as he's top building or something mm. you know like freebie in the bean and things like that yeah. oh and freebie um, in the bean yeah. which Amazing. we um some of us or one of us <laughs> will be going to see at the hollywood this afternoon on the big screen nice yeah. yeah yeah it's but thief has to be my favorite performance of his i mean there mm. are so many but yeah. thief is just yeah. spectacular but you look at that i mean well i was saying to uh, darren earlier he encapsulates what christopher lee said 
which is every actor will have a bad film. The trick is not to be the worst thing in that film. And you said that to me off mic. Off mic. I said that off mic. Yes. yes. While we were prepping. I, don't know, I believe that's a word. I've got posted notes. That's... Being like, where is Doug? I wonder yeah. if you messaged us to say it'd be 15 minutes late. Well, I won't look at my phone to find out. Oh, oh Yeah, so uh, he's, I mean, his little, his little cameo in Silent Movie, I love because he just parodies his tough guy image. And makes yeah. himself look like a, a massive arrogant jerk for the last. So he, he, you know, all the interviews I've read of him, you know, that people even put up on Twitter are just hilarious. Especially the one in Playboy where it's just like, yeah, your last guy that interviewed me was an asshole, basically. Wait, this you're enjoying this in, in, interview? And he responded, yeah, no thanks to you, shithead. <laughs> <laughs> so I would have loved to have heard him talk off camera like that, but... It's been really I, interesting what comes out about actors yeah, when they when die, they, uh, and, yeah. and and with Ray Liotta, that was one thing that surprised me, is how beloved he was, and how many beautiful... Like, he was in a scene with somebody who didn't have any lines, and um, he whispered to the guy, um, say something, and then they'll be required to give you... Because once you give a line, you get your card or whatever, yeah, yeah, and it and allows you, you to get in there. Extra, and yeah, so, you'll get more and money. so he convinced the guy, he made the guy do a line so he could get that. And then apparently behind the scenes, he fought to make sure that, that the line stayed, stayed in, in and all oh, this stuff. And there, awesome. and there were just dozens of stories yeah. like Ray Liotta, nicest guy in the world, the dude from Something Wild. The like, yeah, man who turned up in Muppets Most Wanted as a not featured character. Yeah. Right. He's he's a prisoner who has maybe three or four lines, but he's in all the dance numbers that the uh, <laughs> right. that the oh, prisoners have with him fun. and Jermaine Clement, and nice. it's just it, yeah, yeah. Um, what a what a loss. Well, my movie from and it is a James Khan, and I watched it oddly enough about two months ago, and I'm going to do this in the honor of James Khan's Twitter account, Thief. End of tweet. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, well, my I'm not going to uh, jump on the James Conn bandwagon here, only because I haven't watched anything since he passed. I mean, How to be fair... How dare you be an individual? Well, you, you know, it's actually the case is we started watching The Way of the Gun, which I'd heard good things about, and we got 20 minutes into it, and it was just like, it's so... Yeah, Sarah wasn't into it, and I wasn't sure how into it I was, and so we pivoted to another film that we enjoyed much more, um, which is actually Captain Phillips, which um, turns out to be really good. Who knew? Not the point. <laughs> um, the film that is my best retro screening is actually or, of uh, someone who's passed away is still the first of the year, which was the screening of Peter Bogdanovich's Paper Moon at the oh, uh, Hollywood. Yes. And I had never seen Paper Moon, which is um, Ryan O'Neill as a traveling con man who meets his match with a young girl. Um played by Tatum O'Neill, and uh, it is just such a delight. It is such a, um, I mean, I hate the word dated, but I feel like there are films that, you know, you do have to be kind of like, okay, you're coming at it from the time and the place. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe because Paper Moon was a period piece when it was made, but also just Bogdanovich's worldview as an entertainer, I feel like anyone would sit down with that and they might be, oh, black and white, oh, I don't know. And in 10 minutes, they ju- you'd just be away. It's it's witty. It's engaging. It's that great kind of road movie spirit of, you know, two likable rogues and just watching themselves get in and out of trouble and um, and just kind of the, it, this inspiration of this screwball kind of sense of humor with intricate plotting and beautiful photography. It's like, and I, I looked on Letterboxd and I gave it four and a half. I'm like, 
why was I so mean to that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I'm not. I can't work out what it was missing, other than I rarely give five stars on it. And I think it might movie. be Madeline Kahn's first performance on film. Is it? Oh, or? and she's terrific in it. Yeah. I don't know if it is or not, but. Um, Letterbox has got into yeah. quarter stars because sometimes I got movies which is like it's not quite a five star, it's it, four and a half feels yeah. too mean, you know. So yeah, so give me give me a four and three quarters. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> and I, um, when it comes to Paper Moon, I I would have loved to have seen it at the Hollywood. Only I saw it for the first time just two weeks before. Oh <laughs> uh, right, yes, Once yes, you, you're, me me with the thing, you with uh, Paper Moon. Um, both of them. So we'll do one more round. Um, and both of mine are ludicrously specific. But I think one is easier to um, tweak than the other. Um, the one that's best film recommended by Mark Borchardt, the subject of American movie, I don't think is very uh, tweakable. <laughs> I've got one. <laughs> um, so sorry, sorry to the 1973 Indian film Duvidha by Mani Call, but it is on movie and it is a really good ghost story. You were um, so close I do recommend there. It. Yeah. <laughs> sorry about um, that. Honorable mention. And um, but this one, I think, uh, I think you can get the spirit of it, if not the specifics. Um, Best film, I'll put in parentheses, shot in a single take, uh, that I only gave three stars to, but keep finding myself recommending. So, so yeah, so this, I mean, the spirit of what I'm getting at is a film you watch, you're like, oh, that's that's okay, it's got some problems, but whatever. But then it just, somehow you keep coming back to it, it keeps coming up in conversation, you keep recommending it. Um, boiling Point. Uh, not the any of the other Boiling Points that are action films that you've seen, but Stephen Graham uh-huh. as a chef, gotcha. one take, shot... Um, the night before COVID lockdown restrictions went down in England, and it was it's just about one night at a restaurant in the lead up to Christmas where everything goes exceptionally badly. And then and Chow Yun-Fat turns up and says, <laughs> crazy. Actually, I, don't, I, I think was, there's a Takeshi Kitano boiling point. I don't know if there's a Hong Kong boiling point. I'm pretty sure there's a Van Damme boiling point. None of those give you any insight into what this film is like. Um, it's It's definitely flawed. I mean, it has all the flaws of a one take film which is that you know there's moments where it's like there's a little bit of flabby improv that you wouldn't keep in mm-hmm. if it was a normally done film um and it was going three and a half stars for me and it, because i was like well despite the gimmick this is actually really good it's really interesting and it nicely pivots between different people's perspectives in the restaurant it does this quite clever thing where it is happening in one shot it's over one night and so it kind of telescopes the time of a whole evening service into an hour and a half, into a single shot by kind of, it'll follow other other characters and then come back to it. So it's sort of, like, if you think about it, it sort of doesn't make sense, but it makes it work despite that. And Stephen Graham's performance at the center of it as this chef that's falling apart is just incredible. But there's also a lot of other really strong performances. It does not stick the landing. It decides to just, um, in chefing terms, over-egg the pudding by just giving it a dramatic beat. It really didn't need but i just kept finding myself saying look if you want to sit down watch a movie that's really satisfying that will give you a kind of here's something i haven't seen before it's it's very recommendable in a way that's not like a lot of the stuff i watch i feel like oh i love that and no one else i know would or or darren and steve would but you know i'm not going to recommend it to a relative i'm visiting in london but um, it just were, and I've, I've recommended it to a lot of people, and they've been like saying, "Yeah, like, yeah, we really enjoyed it. We admit it's not perfect, but yeah." So, I, are there any films that you can think of I, that I, you like? Kind I, of, I'd have kind of not 
in exactly that same category. I mean, I've got plenty of films which I would love, and like for instance, I always champion Tank Girl, and I know a lot of people hate Tank Girl. And I yeah. fucking love Tank Girl, but go kind of working on your theme. A movie that I would um, recommend to people with a colliery that I'm not going to tell them anything about the film, which was recommended to me on Twitter by my Twitter followers, and they wouldn't tell me anything about it, was the movie Triangle. Oh, uh, yes, I've seen yeah, that. Which, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you've As seen it, you know why I won't tell you about it, because to give I'm away the plot... Yes, they're <laughs> on a boat. Yes, they're on a boat. They're on a boat, and <laughs> things happen. Um, yeah. Shit goes down. Shit goes bad. And then shit goes oh, spoilers. weird. Weird. Spoilers. Yeah. So shit goes down, shit goes bad, shit goes weird, and it's well worth it. So I've, I've had a couple of um, good recommendations from my Twitter followers, so shout out to them. They recommended Black yeah. Mountain Side, which I which watched recently, which is right. very Canadian thing, like Tenno-type horror movie. It very much felt like the spirit of the thing. And oh, once cool. again, didn't stick the landing for me. Felt just a very kind of abrupt... Yeah, but the journey was worth it, even though the last couple of minutes it just kind of went, oof. Okay, they they that didn't feel like they. It's it's almost like a, the dirty's kind of ending, which is kind of yeah. bang and we're done. But yeah, the, definitely yeah. triangle. I would recommend to people just mm. don't ask me the plot because I'm not going to <laughs> tell you. <laughs> well, here's a oddly entertaining one, which I suppose is really what we're talking about. Is one that is kind of. It's kind of good, and I would recommend it to um, to those who probably are New Zealanders around my age or um, or older, um, which is the the only film I can think of that has Don Adams and Sylvia Cristel in, um, in it together. Oh, the mind boggles! <laughs> <laughs> and it's a film that I, for years, have kind of been avoiding because I I heard that it wouldn't be any good and it's the Maxwell Smart film The Nude Bomb Ah, directed by Clive Donner and so so New Zealanders love um, around my age Love get smart, oh, and, and, so and long. apparently yeah. it was. I was not expecting you were leading up to the scarecrow or something because yeah. I'm really. Yeah, it's but like, apparently, <laughs> it's not a big deal in the states, which was always a surprise. Yeah, um, I just played constantly here. I mean, it was absolutely on it, was, constant it, was, it was something that we kind of knew existed. It wasn't like yeah, but um, for Coronation us, Street was, level obscure, but yeah, it, yeah, and but, it, it did play. It's. Um, in one of its times, they it was a five thirty in the afternoon every yeah, day, five days a week, five days. I don't a week. know how many okay, episodes yeah. they play, but I mean, if you were New Zealand, you would have thought it had been running for like forty years. Yeah, it was just constant. It's and the thing is that it manages. There's a a lot of differences. There's no Barbara Feldon as ninety nine in this, and yet there is there's enough touchstones. And there's enough actual comedy, laugh out loud lines in it that I was really quite surprised mm, by cool. it. It's so it's just a, a chuckle worthy Sunday afternoon type sit back and relax. Mm, well, it is Sunday afternoon as we read. Well, <laughs> wow, what there a cool right, that sounds, We may have people showing up any minute, so, so let's bang into your. We're going to race on quickly yep. because we got some movies to watch this afternoon. So I'm just going to give you a couple of my categories which I did not bring up uh, in this one: uh, special achievement and horrible sound design. Yeah. Uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis's How to Make a Doll, which I want to delete <laughs> from my audio memory. Uh, best movie, unlike me, I zoned out to Jinro's Dreams of Sushi, which was Ooh, yes. fantastic. Uh, and I'm going to go on to the one that I've got highlighted, which I have to. The category simply is worst goddamn movie of the year. 
so far and for any year. And that movie is called Roller Gator. Uh, and I watched it, I'm going to tell you, as a riff tracks, because we've been watching a lot of riff tracks, Aiden and I, my son and I. You know, Friday night, he doesn't have to go to school the next day, we'll put on a riff tracks, and normally a riff tracks live. However, Roller Gator is the kind of movie where even the jokes cannot save the fact that you're watching Roller Gator. Well, let's... let's. Is this a roller skating alligator, or is this more no. toe even dumber is than this, that? It's even dumber than this. It's a roller <laughs> well, skating... expectations? It's called Roller Gator. <laughs> yes, but I've seen Dino Shark, and that was quite fun. <laughs> and okay. Velocipasta was yes, actually was quite, quite a good. Fun. This yeah. one, however, takes you and beats you with a stupid stick, because it's not a roller alligator on roller skates, which I would have liked. It's not... It's, it's a woman on roller skates because it was the 90s and she's got she finds a a wisecracking alligator puppet that she puts on her back and skates around and he's completely immobile and they're chased by a ninja on roller skates and I know this sounds as dumb as a bag very dumb rocks it's dumber than you imagine it is dumber than Avatar this is the problem is that it just sounds like I have to watch it it's excruciating they've literally the kind of movie where they went well we need some crowd scenes so we'll film at the county fair because all Americans seem to do that when they have we saw it at Twister's Revenge, but then we got yes. to see an awful lot of trucks, uh, so monster trucks. It's a really interesting idea, but it's written by George no, Lucas. No, it's not even no, that interesting an idea because they don't know what they're doing. Mm. There is no plot. They keep throwing in kind of, well, you've been chased okay. by ninja. Why? Oh, we'll make the ninja good. Why? They cannot explain why. The, the <laughs> county fair scenes, there is literally the audio drops out. <laughs> constantly as they film because they obviously didn't have any equipment or a guy that knew which end of a boom he was supposed to fucking hold it's making me angry thinking about this movie basically I'm a connoisseur of shitty movies but Roller Gator can suck my dick Ooh. <laughs> legal how are we feel about that <laughs> I believe that's an opinion okay. so, uh, uh, I, I just not, wouldn't mention alligators in that specific <laughs> act personally I'm just going to fly through a few categories here best pandemic movie oh you're is... not going to give your worst movie um, I, um, he doesn't have I one. Think They're I think I've already done them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. um, what's so bad Spencer's about fine. Uh, anyway. best pandemic movie was what's so bad about feeling good what is which that? is a 60s movie with Mary Tyler Moore and George Peppard and Dom DeLuise where it's a, um, a happiness disease oh okay and it focuses right. okay. on um, on people who are it, it's the end of the world and they're, they're kind of hippies but they um, everything's bad and everything's just and then um, the, the, the happiness disease gets um <laughs> it's a parrot, apparently, that somehow spreads this disease. <laughs> this would be an excellent double it's feature with... It's an amazing with, film. Excellent double feature with kids in the whole brain candy, I, yeah, I, think, <laughs> it, I think it may well be. Is, um, and then uh, the best This Isn't What It Seems movie <laughs> is Riders of Justice, which is that fucking rules. fantastic. Yeah. It starts off not. as one film and it, it becomes... Other great movies. Let's take the triangle. I don't think you should know. I was going to say. It. I'm about to say. Um, I know we're on a podcast talking about movies, it. but please yeah. don't tell me jack shit about no, this. Just go watch your faces. It and, yeah. If I'd had a video of these guys' faces, it's like you need to watch this movie. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and a best film, which is obviously the um, obviously was used as the template for um, for other movies, Bay of Blood. So oh, good. 
Oh, we've all seen so this this year, haven't good. we? Yeah, uh, I watched oh it last year. But I watched yeah. it as, as part of June's quotation for the GLO uh, section. Yes. Holy crap! It's I have never... Friday the Thirteenth owes could also best so ending. Best I mean, got, yeah, most unexpected ending. I've most beautiful say. music to a bloodshed. Yeah, there's... I mean, just the glorious yeah. like Stelvio Cipriani score is. Um, you know that sounds like it should be scoring like two people kissing in the sunset and instead and somebody's just, running down a hill bleeding all over the place it's a remarkable film it's not for oh, everybody man. because yeah it is it's a I mean a proto slasher because being that Giallo's did lead to the slashes as I mentioned yeah, yeah. Johnson, and, and but no one to root for and no, it's fantastic a dick and oh yeah, I hate yeah. those movies I normally hate movies where every like they do the horror movie trope these days but they, they put a bunch of people together in a and a cabin and they're all dicks and it's like who's going to die first I don't want to I want people I want to see survive in this movie everyone was a dick and I frigging loved it it's yeah. so <laughs> twisty turning oh yes yeah, yeah. oh yeah. man damn good recommendation yeah. okay <laughs> um, and fly through oh um I so my the only one that I'm going to mention is uh Best double feature that no one ever would ever program as a double feature um, because it just happened to be that we played them back to back and they were both five star movies. Uh, Make Way for Tomorrow in the Sicilian Clan. Um, oh. Leo McCurry's Make Way for Tomorrow. Uh, that I bought it on Blu-ray from a friend who was selling some stuff and it has a little quaint cover that looks like the cover of The New Yorker. And I, I'm not going to describe the plot, not because I don't want to spoil it, but because I will not get through it without crying. It is one of the most heartbreaking movies for an hour and then it goes into a completely beautiful third act and then mm. it's just yeah. I was I was there um, it, Doug and I watched these two films it is perhaps one of the best films I've ever seen right. yeah it it's, is a 30s um, film about um, two a, uh, aging mother and father who have lost the um, ownership of their home and so they need to be looked after by their kids right. um, and then it becomes a modern cringe comedy for about 20 minutes yeah it, it, there is almost a proto curb your enthusiasm it's so feel in some of it but also but through it all there's just this incredible um underplayed emotionality and also the tenor of the performances to me felt very different from the era it felt very not like kind of what you would expect from a 30s comedy there's a very lived in quality and just such a rueful sense of the reality of what's going through and and for people at our age who have aging parents and no other people who have aging parents there will inevitably be something that resonates really hard in it. Uh, and, I deliberately um, didn't talk about this because I th I knew that Doug yeah. would bring this up here. And, yeah. um, and also, just so you're aware, this was well before Tokyo Story. So it's yeah, it, uh, which which occupies sim similar um, similar kind of plot ideas. domain with a very a slightly different implementation. Um, and then the Sicilian clan is literally connected into it in no other way other than we needed <laughs> not to feel ha go someplace very different and it's um, freaking fantastic. and Alain Delon uh, and Jean Gabin and Lina Ventura in one movie how could you not and uh, Henri Vernail who directed it is a really underrated French director I think he had the misfortune of making a lot of his great films in the 60s and 70s when he was doing work for the studios and everyone was like ooh French New Wave ooh, you guys are gross for working with studios so it's like Oh well, I'll just keep cranking out really amazingly well done films that will be little remembered because you know they weren't shot for fifty thousand dollars by somebody running around with a sixteen millimeter Bolex, mm -hmm. but it is um, just this great um, 
heist procedural sort of film with some nice um, crosses in this crossover of French and Italian culture and like this great setup that is building up to this amazing heist. And then they realize it's not going to work. And so they change the whole setting of the heist. And then it, yeah, it's, it's a friend of mine watched it and he wasn't as knocked out by it. So it may have just been that kind of right, you know, switch of tone at the right time. But those were the two films that were probably the best films I've seen since Mm -hmm. the podcast. Last podcast. Well, there we go. We're back and we've recommended all the movies in the entire world. So (laughs) (laughs) We haven't mentioned yet California Split or Pass the Ammo or Young Ladies of Rockefeller. Sergeant Peppers. I was on my list. Silver (laughs) The amazing Mr. Blunder. We can just shut the fuck up now. I think think everyone's got tuned in a long time ago. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, we will endeavor to be back in fewer than six months and endeavor to actually have an episode that lives up to, to the theme. Yes, yeah, we, we have plans this, ahead. But, I mean, we've um, had plans before, but this time we'll try and go through with them. And yeah, so once I get we back don't all end States up, you know, if I don't get uh, the Rona in the next six months, then we'll be we'll be back. Yeah, or <laughs> you'll get the Rona and recover from it, and uh, hopefully we won't get it again. Until next time, Cheers, take care, kids. stay safe, and wear a freaking mask, people. <laughs>